everyone, and thank you for joining us on the PCICS podcast, the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. My name is Sadie Rodriguez, and I'm a pediatric cardiac intensivist at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and a member of the PCICS podcasting committee. Today, I have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Eduardo de Cruz, who's a tenured professor in pediatrics, pediatric cardiology, and intensive care, as well as the associate medical director of the Heart Institute and head of pediatric cardiac critical care program at Children's Hospital Colorado. He is incredibly accomplished, having delivered close to 300 international lectures, a reviewer for 28 journals, the editor or co-editor of eight textbooks, published 80 book chapters, and close to 100 manuscripts. In the podcast today, we're going to chat with Dr. Da Cruz about a fascinating panel of various speakers that he moderated entitled New Technologies and Innovations Relevant to Cardiac Intensive Care at the Joint Pediatric Critical Care International Meeting in London in December of 2019. This meeting was a joint endeavor of PCICS, the Pediatric Intensive Care Society of the UK, and the European Conference on Pediatric and Neonatal Cardiac Intensive Care. Thank you so much, Dr. De Cruz, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Great pleasure. Do you want to start us off with talking about why it's so important that we have this session today and why we talk about new technologies? Absolutely. And let me start by saying I think there was something very symbolic in this meeting or this session, which is the fact we had a very wide array of specialists, multiple disciplines getting together which, as a matter of fact, represents the philosophy behind this meeting, from surgeons to bioengineers to nurses, physicians, from all backgrounds. And I think that was extraordinary. So we could have a display of many things going on, some of which we are involved with and some that were totally new for us. But these innovations are going to be part of our lives in the near future, if not already, so... I think it's fair to say it was pretty comprehensive. I hope all the audience um, went out of that room with a smile on their face. <laughs> yes, it was. I agree. One of the strengths of the conference, like you said, is being so multidisciplinary, and we have so much to learn from all the other specialties. It was interesting to hear the bioengineer speak, as well as a surgeon speak, as well as a cardiac interventionalist. What were the speakers or the topics that you found most interesting Oh, all of them were interesting. Yes. And I think they all coincided with an aspect that is important, which is to understand what we are doing, to be precise, and to develop roadmaps for our practices and for our patients and their families. So when you talk about projecting 3D modeling and virtual interventions and utilizing those tools also to help the patients and the families understand exactly what will happen, and then project that also into the longer-term follow-up and trying to be more efficient, doing more with less without taking risks for the patients. I think all of these elements were important. And to some extent, you can integrate many of these. I'm sorry. That's an ambulance in London, guys. <laughs> or po- police, maybe. <laughs> Why? It reminds me of New York. <laughs> you have that all the time. So no, so all these elements coincide. You can b- create bridges between these different talks. You know, for instance, the uh, virtual 3D modeling with the the Pierce project for the aortic root cast, if I may say. Mm-hmm. And very interestingly, I liked the, the last one particularly about the, the virtual words. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we want to serve the patients to the best of our capabilities, but th- that doesn't mean we need to impose a burden upon them by keeping them in the hospital for longer than needed. Mm-hmm. Often we do that because we are very cautious 
and we want to protect them, but we are causing more harm than good in the sense of now having an impact, negative impact on their social lives and work lives, and etc. So it's important to really define safe criteria to be able to discharge patients as early as possible while still keeping an eye on how they are progressing and providing the families and the patients with flags and with with ways to identify as early as possible anything that would be an outlier in their supposed progression. I think this is fascinating and we really need to invest more on that. Along the lines of, you know, the the fast track programs Mm -hmm. which are not definitely not utilized in every single institution, but aim for the same objective, meaning short-term hospital admission with with safe outcomes. No, that's an excellent point, balancing cost-effective care with the vigilance that's needed with these fragile patients. Do you think that as important as it is to empower parents to give them red flags and know what to look for, do you think on the flip side it could create a false sense of security for the parents or for the providers in going home? Is there any other side? Definitely it's a risk, but we can palliate that with proper education and with tracking data. We, uh, when establishing that type of programs, we need to make sure we are collecting enough data to make sure that we are doing the right thing for the patient and not to the patient as the same principles we apply in the ICU environment, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so I think if we get actually at some point to integrate that into big data platforms in artificial intelligence, we will have a lot more safety in the way we implement and, and follow these programs. I'm, I'm truly hopeful that that will be the, the near future. It's exciting. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. And returning to some of the more technical aspects, Dr. Pepper, who's a consultant cardiothoracic surgeon at Royal Brompton Hospital, mm-hmm. spoke a bit about the personalized external aortic root support yes. and some of the innovations he's doing with that, as well as Dr. Shaturvedi, who's an interventional yeah. cardiologist at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, mm-hmm. speaking about some of the fetal cardiac cath interventions for restricted or intact atrial septums in both TGAs and Hypoplas, and some of these techniques are so highly specialized and specific and concentrated in certain people's hands or institutions. How yes. do you see the rest of the world, or you know, everyone else catching up to them? I'm very glad you asked that because going back to the concept of balance, I, mm. there are not a lot of patients needing this type of interventions. So that's a limiting factor. If you spread that experience amongst too many institutions. It's uh, intuitively, you would say, gathering enough experience is going to be impossible, right? And then, and then you will be wasting resources, right? Because doing fetal interventions, for instance, requires a very complex multidisciplinary team, technical resources, etc. So, to have all of these conditions put together in many centers for one case every few years right. doesn't make sense. So, mm-hmm. I think. Um, for those specific interventions, it would make a lot more sense to centralize care. Okay. And we need all to think uh, as a community that our main objective is a patient and a family. And there is still some degree of territorialism, I have to say that, and that's universal. Right. And we can understand it from certain perspectives. But we need to really learn how to identify those who do things better than us learn from them, but also refer patients to them 
in this type of scenario. Mm -hmm. I think uh, ultimately the patient will be better served. It's also in our best interest, right? right. So it's a win-win type of scenario. It's a politically sensitive topic, right. but these are things we need to talk about because we need to be transparent with everything we do, and this is not an exception. And um, so I really thank you for the question. I think the collaboratives that have been implemented and that I hope will f grow further, like the PC4, mm -hmm. will be very important for us to grow in that philosophy of collaboration. Mm -hmm. Because it's not only sharing data, it's looking at the data, looking at those who do things better, mm -hmm. reproduce their practice to become better. Mm -hmm. And this is a continuum. You have cycles of evaluation and right. uh, modification of what we do. At the end of the road, we will all be doing things in the most consistent way possible, right? And the safest way possible. And hopefully the cheapest way possible, right? Because finally, stewardship is, is a key element of the definition of quality and safety. Mm -hmm. It's not only invest resources right. Right, to become safer, but it's also do that without wasting. So I hope the coming decade will really change practices as a whole across the world from that standpoint. And just to add something also important, again, with what this Congress represents, it's the fact that you have different disciplines coming together, but also from different continents, accepting to work towards a common objective again, rather than having separate meetings and separate initiatives to work on guidelines and textbooks, just do it all together. Right. Again, developing a universal language, developing this you know, a platform for interaction, for exchange of practices and exchange of resources. And down the stream, I can see also a humanitarian impact in those countries where resources are more scarce. Because mm -hmm. isn't it our objective at some point to see healthcare become really universal? That's right. Accessible to everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's a dream. Yeah. Yeah, that's a beautiful vision. Well, we have to go for it. Yeah, that's right. We <laughs> need leaders to help well, forge the way. We are many. We just need to um, coordinate. <laughs> <laughs> what would your vision be for five, ten years from now? How do you think that we can get there? I think we already gave the first steps in this thousand-mile uh, journey. We have to continue to grow in, in this type of interactions and create more task forces beyond what we are doing now. It, again, going back to the example of PC4 and, and other initiatives alike, PC4 is now unique. And bringing into the equation this concept about being universal mm -hmm. and Many of us have been doing humanitarian for many years, but I think as I've been doing this over the last couple of decades at least, I've learned that it's better to invest in such a way that all of these other programs in uh, low- and middle-income countries will be available and they will be self-sustainable, right? Right. And eventually sharing more with them I mean, the, the concept of being selfish and thinking about only ourselves from the pictures. This movement has started. Uh, we just need to continue to promote it, and we'll get there. It will take uh, years, I think. It's important also to involve institutions and governments in these decisions right. because we need also that scaffold yeah. that will allow us to 
build something that will definitely be self-sustainable. I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, this it's is very great. complex, but, but I think by you throw seeds into the ground That's right. and then make sure you take care of the <laughs> <laughs> of those trees. But I, when I compare, I've started doing this uh, three decades ago, and I've seen a, a huge change. But mostly the last, I would say, five to ten years, it's really there. I can see a momentum. Mm-hmm. So I hope those who, who listen to this podcast get motivated to join these efforts. Dr. Krishna right. Kumar was speaking of the same thing yesterday, mm-hmm. and he was sharing his story about how he really was able to build up the pediatric yes. program in, in Kerala, India. And he was saying that, you know, the same things. He got help from outside places to train their nurses, to train their staff. And, yes. and it's such a interconnected world, and we all need each other. We have different experts and strengths in different parts of the country that we can learn from and pull from and collaborate yeah, with. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. We still need to recruit the NGOs. We Many of us work for NGOs, but you have isolated interventions. I think we need a coalition. We need projects where multiple NGOs get together. And as a matter of fact, if we think strategically and financially, I think that will become attractive for organizations like United Nations to support initiatives. If you have 15 NGOs coming up with a project and pilot information, pilot data, rather than having someone just, you know, one or two coming and knocking on the door, they may not be successful in obtaining support. This can become a big, big universal or global initiative if we want it to become a global initiative. Power in numbers. Yes, indeed. And data. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. You translate our micro world, That's right. right? What we do in our lives as intensivists mm-hmm. into a much larger scale, which is the world where we live, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. That's great. Changing the tide as Pretty the future much. comes. Pretty much. That's exciting. Pretty much. What do you see is still the gap or the questions that you want to see addressed or answered in Cardiac intensive care or in technology specifically? I need to think about that one because there's a list that could fill the walls here. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess I need to focus. Um, The way I see this, again, it's very personal, but I, you know, when we talk about these things in meetings and, and other forums, I don't necessarily have the impression that this language we speak is understood. What do you mean? I mean that there are still numerous places around the world, and not necessarily the developing world, where um, I have seen the audience listens to it and says, oh, that's very nice, but there's, there, they think to some extent maybe this is utopic or just... Mm-hmm available to those who have certain resources. I think a lot of what we do does not depend on resources. It depends on a state of mind. Mm. A culture, perhaps? It's a cultural trait, indeed. And culture, as you know, and we've done that in our own environments, can evolve. Mm-hmm. It takes some time, and then you know, once it's consolidated, it will remain mm. what it is, mm-hmm. and whomever is there, which is an important metric of success. That something that does depend on an individual. Right. Sustainable. But um, that, that culture needs to be implemented. We need to be more present out there giving advice, 
and educating in that sense too. It's beyond teaching how to manage an apoplastic left heart patient mm -hmm. for a good outcome. It's teaching processes. It's teaching the need to be a result in the way we communicate, what it really means to integrate a team, removing silos. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of programs out there still live within silos. We are not the majority when we talk about these things. We represent a very small fraction of the programs in this world. So I think um, beyond just showing up, if I may say what right. we are doing, we need to be more proactive in opening doors for others to learn processes that will help them get there rather than just sharing the data. Yeah. I don't know if I'm yeah, explaining no, that myself, but that's something I've seen on the battlefield quite a lot. How do you think we feasibly can do that? Creating partnerships with other institutions, inviting each other back and forth? Working alongside each other? I think, um, well, I've seen in my own, again, micro world, it's, um, I've been, uh, I've had the privilege to intervene in a number of programs that I evaluate and then come up with strategic planning for improvement. And I have seen in the vast majority of cases, and this across, you know, different countries in the world, mm -hmm. I've seen very great responsiveness. And for uh, the local teams uh, adopt these principles, and I've seen programs turn around in six months completely in their philosophy and their approach and focusing on patient rather than their own, in, you know, individual interests or, you know, learning how to deal with strong personalities, which I define as disruptive individuals, rather. <laughs> <laughs> And this all those. is described out there. I'm not <laughs> inventing the words. Uh, they say, but we need to spend some of our time beyond, you know, beyond the interventions from NGOs and specific missions to operate patients or whatever. We need, I think, to be more proactive individually approaching people and asking them, hey, what can I do for you? Yeah. Because sometimes some of the uh, leaders in these teams are, don't even have the hope that someone will come forward and help them. You see, it's, uh, it's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. And again, it's a state of mind that we need to, the yeah. awareness that yeah. that's happening out there and that right. we, we, we can do a lot more than we, than we are doing. I'm not saying what is, what has been done is great, uh, but that does not suffice, I think. There's yeah. more that, and to the do. more we play, the, the better it gets, that's for sure. Making again a plea for those who may be interested to come forward and, uh, and help out. Once the culture changes again, those who have the opportunity to become better in their practices towards their patients and families will become themselves mentors right, the for others leaders. to to do the same. So it will grow into things like regional collaborations, right? Instead of just national interventions, why not? That would be wonderful. Yeah. Strengthen communities. Yeah. Yeah. That be. I can give you many examples of already platforms for regional, you know, like bringing patients from other countries. Mm -hmm. So you centralize care in one country. Mm -hmm. You have mobile units identifying patients, bringing them together, operate, they go back, rather than developing a program in each country mm -hmm. where you know resources are very poor and therefore it will probably not be successful in the mm. long term, things like that. There's yeah. a lot of that. And I'm diverting from no. the pot, <laughs> diverting from the session on <laughs> innovation, albeit innovation is not exclusive to technology. And That's right. We haven't been good enough to innovate 
the very basics sometimes we're talking about you know 3d technologies and and the very precise technologies to measure what's going on with the brain and you know very sophisticated devices and mm -hmm. but we shall not forget about basics and as a matter of fact if you think about artificial intelligence and predicting model etc as we grow in that area we cannot or should not forget human intelligence mm -hmm. and the very basics of what medicine is mm -hmm. i see that as a complement mm. rather than just replacing right. traditional practice and we have to be aware of that again because otherwise we will find ourselves becoming highly sophisticated technicians doing stuff based on data without really practicing real medicine whereas the humanization side of practice yeah. i think when we talk innovation and technology mm -hmm. we have to integrate humanization yeah the virtual world discussion was an example of integrating compassion in ways it's complex our practice has become so cumbersome i tell you <laughs> <laughs> that's why we have the need for all these tools that make sure we don't forget things because as humans we we will forget we'll continue to uh, her which is human but we really need to keep all of these things together yeah. um, it's a big puzzle but uh, you know we can keep it clear if we don't lose sight of all of these elements that's right it's easy to get yeah. lost in the fancy and the yes cutting edge and get disconnected yeah. from the, the the heart of medicine or the basics of human yeah. interaction and medicine and what what we already have what can we optimize what we already have instead of in, inventing new how Indeed. can we Indeed. reinvent i guess Indeed. so for those who will be driving the the boat into innovation don't forget how to use your stethoscope please. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners or other perspectives or thoughts i could talk for probably the whole week <laughs> no I, i thank you for this opportunity to share you know beyond my impressions about the, what the session represented to share also a few other concerns and and uh, aspects i think we all have to advocate for as a community Well, thank, thank you, you for very sharing. much. Thanks to you for your thought-provoking you. conversation and your participation. Thank you. Thank you again, Dr. Da Cruz, for speaking with us today about new technology and innovation in the cardiac ICU. We very much enjoyed having you on our podcast. And to all of our listeners, thank you for listening to the PCICS podcast. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please visit our website at PCICS.org where you can find more information about how to become a member and enjoy updated information on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and so much more. The song I Don't Know by Grapes was used under Creative Commons 3.0 Attribution License.